0: Matthew 16 verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, if you
1: have a Bible handy, let's turn together to Matthew 16, those verses from 21 to, well, really 27, page 984 of the Pew Bibles. We're going to look at this very well-known passage together this morning. Don't know if you know this chap who's on the screen. His name is James Howell. He's an IT worker from Newport. And uh, in 2013, he was clearing out his desk, and he threw away an old computer hard drive. And fortunately, he had forgotten that it contained some Bitcoin keys. Uh, Bitcoin, some of you will know, is an electronic currency, which then wasn't worth all that much. However, in the intervening time, the value of Bitcoin has risen astronomically. And before Christmas, when Bitcoin was at its peak… That hard drive was worth 60 million pounds. You'd be a bit annoyed, wouldn't you, really? Well, James is campaigning to have the landfill site dug up, but uh, so far, without success. You'd just think about that all the time. It would sort of consume you, wouldn't it? But what we're going to talk about today, what's in this passage, and I just can't emphasize this enough, what's in this passage is just so much more important Than James' hard drive. We're going to talk about the crucial importance of following the Lord Jesus Christ, even though it is hard. In speaking about this, Jesus said, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Or what can man give in exchange for a soul? So it's, it's so important, Jesus says, if you had all the Bitcoin in the world, if you had all the resources in the world, all that the world could offer, it would not weigh up against the value of your own soul. And your soul is only safe when you're following Jesus, and following Jesus is hard. That's what we're thinking about this morning, the crucial decision to follow Jesus, even though it's hard. This passage that we're looking at is a very important one. We we, Uh, find that this incident is recorded in Matthew and Luke. It comes after that turning point that we looked at last week where Peter confesses Jesus' identity. You might remember we've often said one of the ways to look at the Gospels is to to look at them through the lens of of three things, Jesus' identity, His mission, and His call. Who is He? What has He done? And what does He ask of us? And in Matthew, we, we find that lots of the a early chapters are the disciples discovering who Jesus is. It's about his identity. And now Peter has seen this and he's confessed, sort of on behalf of all the disciples, we know, Lord, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. His identity is established. And now Jesus goes on to explain his mission. He is the Messiah, the Christ. What sort of Messiah will he be? You see that in a in, in verse uh, well, I've lost it now <clears throat> in, in verse 21 from that time on Peter began to or Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law that he must be killed and on the third day rise again you, you, you see we know that there were all sorts of expectations at the time of what the Messiah would be like and what He would do, and common to all of the views that were sort of popular in the culture at the time was that the, the Messiah would be about unadulterated glory and and power. Any opposition that He faced would be swiftly crushed, and He would sail through uh, to victory. And if we know anything, of course, about Jesus' story, we know that that was not the course that His life takes from this point. He ends up going to Jerusalem. Dri- Jerusalem and eventually being put to death on a cross. Now that's how it was all intended to be. And so Jesus needed to explain that the sort of Messiah that they had in mind was not the sort of Messiah that he was going to be. So he tells them about that in verse 21. Now I'm sure all the disciples reacted strongly about that, but it was Peter who spoke out. After all, his last. Uh, words had been very well received. He must have felt he was on a bit of a roll, and so he says something new. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. So, he takes him aside. a sort of a friendly word. Let me give you a piece of advice, Jesus. But what he says is just out of order, A a disciple would never have rebuked their master in that context. A a, a rabbi would never have been rebuked by one of his followers. But but Peter does, and in really strong terms, never, Lord. Far be it from you, Lord. No, Lord. And those two words can't really sit together if we think about it. Lord… Lord is, is boss and, 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 and the one before whom we bow, the one before whom we hand over the authority in our lives to, to make decisions, to say what is right and so on. And so, no, Lord, just doesn't fit together. The only word that can really come before Lord is yes. Yes, Lord. But it's as if Peter is saying, I know better than you how this should go. Now, we will criticize Peter for that, of course, but isn't it the case that often we fall into the same sort of trap? We say to to Jesus, Lord, I really know how this should go, how my life should go. This is what my plans are. They're they're, they're good plans, and I really need you to give me what my plans are. And if that's not what happens then… We sort of protest, don't we? We say, Lord, what about my plans? They were, the, they were the right plans. I know this is how it should turn out. You ever said that or something like that to the Lord? Not this way, Lord. That, that's just not right. If you thought about it a little bit more, you would see that, surely. No, Lord. We're not so different from Peter sometimes. Well, how do we expect Jesus to react? Gentle Jesus, uh, A quiet chuckle who says, well, you just haven't seen it all yet, Peter. No. Jesus reacts in the strongest of terms. Verse 23, he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Remember, as we read, Peter had been the rock a few verses ago. Now he's the stumbling block. He'd be the one through whom God had spoken— and now he becomes the mouthpiece of the words of Satan. He had been the one through whom, uh, God, to whom God had revealed plans, and now he's the one who is getting in the way of the plans of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not that I think uh, Peter is, is in any way possessed by Satan or anything like that. That's not how we should read this. Some of you might have heard ideas like that. He's simply communicating the doctrine that Satan would preach. He's communicating to Jesus that the cross isn't necessary. Remember what Satan did at the temptations when Jesus was in the desert? He was tempting him to bypass the cross. Only glory, no suffering. And now Peter's coming along and saying the same. Glory, Lord, not suffering. He doesn't get it. But we don't easily get that either we naturally, all of us do, we naturally shy away from suffering, don't we? We feel instinctively that God's ways must be easy and smooth. If God's in it, it'll be a a very straight and easy path. But that just shows us how much we need God to speak into our lives to help us see things the way He does. Because if we only go through life looking for the easy and smooth path. It will not end well. Jesus once talked about two roads. There was a broad road. It sounds easy and smooth, doesn't it? There were many people on it. You're not going to be lonely on the broad road, but it led to destruction. There was a narrow road. Sounds difficult and steep, but it leads to life. We must hear this. Jesus knew that, and so he calls his disciples to him at this really critical moment, and he calls us all to understand. What he does is he talks about two crucial decisions and then gives us three reasons why those are good decisions to make. That's what we're going to look at. Jesus said to his disciples, verse 24, "'If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me.'" Two decisions— first of all, deny yourself. What does that mean? We, we, we hear it often. It's familiar. It's a strong word. It probably has two aspects that we need to consider. It, it's the word that Peter was used of Peter whenever Peter was in the courtyard in a few chapters, and he denies knowing Jesus. Remember that? The servant girl and the servants, the people around the fire come to him and said, you also were with that man? You're one of his followers. And what does Peter do? He says, I I don't know him. He denied him. I don't have anything to do with him. And you see, there is a self to deny. It's the old self. It's that self that wants to live independently from God. And when we see it or when it appears or reappears, it needs to be denied. I don't want anything to do with you. I, I just don't know that part of me anymore. Don't you know that about yourself? As I do about me? That there are parts of you and parts of me that are not pretty. That if they were on public display, we would disown them. Oh, that, that, that's just not me. Sometimes they appear whenever we, we, the, the restraints are off and we just get what we want and we can do what we really, really want and it's not pretty. Sometimes it appears whenever we don't get what we want and the desires of our hearts are laid bare, and it's not pretty. And Jesus says, we can't call a truce with that. We can't accept that. We deny that. There's a second sense, however, in, in which we take this. It is that we renounce our own rights and freedoms because we are under new rule. We're saying, I, I'm renouncing or, or denying my right to make decisions because I'm under new authority. Chris Wright uses the illustration here of, of joining the army. If you join the army, you sign up. And part of what you're doing as you sign up is you're handing over a certain amount of control to a new authority, quite a lot of control. You no longer have the right to decide where to live. You might be stationed anywhere across the world. You no longer have the, the right to stay away from danger you may well be sent into danger. You hand over control as you submit to a new authority, and that is what we do as we begin to follow Jesus Christ. We come under His command, His authority. He is Lord, you see, and that means He has the right to tell us what to do and who to be. Yes, Lord, is what we're to say. After all, this is what Jesus does. In Gethsemane, in a few chapters, there is part of Him that would have naturally turned away from the cross and its cost. And yet what does He pray? Lord, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not what I will, but what You will, you see. This is is where everything went wrong at the beginning, at the fall. What happens is that Adam and Eve makes that, make that terrible choice where they choose to go with their own desires rather than God's command. What I want comes first, they say. And now you see His disciples, those of us who follow Him, are called to go the other way, not what we want, but what He wants. Deny yourself. What a crucial decision. But there's a second part to what Jesus says, and that is, take up your cross and follow me. Now, we use this phrase sometimes glibly, don't we? Uh, We we say such and such a situation is just the cross I have to bear. That uh, health situation is the cross I have to bear. That, That difficult colleague at work is the cross I have to bear. But Jesus used that, and when He used it, His disciples knew that He wasn't being glib, It wasn't an insignificant thing. It was a terrible image for them because it was something that was all too familiar to them. If they saw someone taking up their cross in real life as they did, they knew that that person only had hours to live. They were soon going to be nailed to that cross and their life would be extinguished. Jesus had just said in verse 21 that that's what would happen to him. And now he's saying if they're going to follow him they've got to be willing for that sort of cost and sacrifice. We follow a crucified Savior, and therefore we lay down our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a name you might know, German Lutheran pastor, he spoke out against the, the rise of the Nazi party uh, when few others in Germany were doing that at the beginning of the war. He ended up in a concentration camp. He ended up being put to death. One of his most famous books was The Cost of Discipleship. He said this, "'The cross is laid on every Christian. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with His death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, He bids him come and die.'" We know that for many of our brothers and sisters around the world today, as we meet here, this is a, a literal possibility. They know that in setting out to follow Jesus Christ, they are putting their very lives on the line. And, and for us, it's, it's not like that, but there is a call to die. And it's a call that we struggle with. We've, we've got to admit it. It's to die, perhaps, to to what? To the opinions of those in your workplace? To the temptation to fit in to everyone else around you? To to die to the desire for self-advancement and self-promotion? It is to die. George Muller, old, outstanding Christian, ran among other things, orphanages in England in the 19th century had a remarkable impact upon the, the, the spiritual life of, of many, many people and, and the uh, social fabric, especially around, I think it was Bristol. He saw God provide for His work in many, many ways. And once he was asked, Mr. Miller, what is the secret of your success? What a terrible question. And, and, and he, he paused and became strangely quiet. And then he said these words, There was a day when I died, utterly died. Died to George Muller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame, even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself only approved unto God. Two choices that we are called to make and remake every day. Now, why would a person do this? Maybe maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, should be measuring up Christianity. Does it sound as if it offers anything decent? Well, so far, it sounds awful, doesn't it? Why would a person make choices like this? You notice how Jesus introduces this, if anyone wants to be my disciple. So, it's, it's not accidental. It's not something we drift into by accident. You choose. It requires an act of the will. Well, why would a person exercise their will and say, I'm going to follow Christ along this difficult world road? Well, Jesus gives three reasons. We'll look at them very, very quickly. First of all, it's the way to life. Twenty-five, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. You see, oddly Jesus is saying, if if you follow him along this road of self-denial, that's where real life is found. It's so counterintuitive. Our world's not going to understand it. But you think of it. Think do you know, do you know someone who's just an exceptional Christian? I'm sure we all do. We can think of different people. Somebody who really stands out for us, their character is wonderful, their commitment is is radical. In the world's eyes, perhaps they have missed out on many opportunities, and yet what is it that we think about when we think of them? We realize that there is a deep joy in their life. Why is that? Because they have found that that is the the place where joy lies. If you hang on to living your life with your own way and you in charge… You will lose your life. Your life will shrink and shrink till there's only you left with your grumbling heart, and it will be that way forever. But follow Jesus, and you'll really live. It's the way to life. The second thing is the figures stack up, the figures work. Look at verse twenty six is what we we're saying. What good is it? What will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can man give in exchange for his soul? So remember our our chat with the hard drive in in the landfill site? Let's say, let's say tonight he climbs over the fence of the landfill, and there he is. He's walking around with his dejected heart and his head torch, kicking over the bags of rubbish, and he happens to stumble across his hard drive. Sixty million pounds he cashes it in, he lives the life of the super rich he gets with that the influence that comes along with it, the fame, the followers, he grows old with the, the best of medical care because of the the good life that he 's had. he extends his life by by perhaps two years than if he hadn 't had all those opportunities and but all of his life he has ignored the claims of Christ on his life, oh he 's salved his conscience by doing some gratitude practices and and mindfulness exercises, but he has never come to Christ, and so he is lost. What does the Bible tell us? He goes to hell. What good is his 60 million pounds then? No good, because Jesus has said, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? And in one second of his existence in that lost place, he would trade it all. He would give it all to be rescued, but he cannot because Jesus said, or what can a man give in exchange for a soul? You cannot buy your way to this. You see, the life of the disciple might be hard at points, but the sufferings are temporary. After it, there is glory. We are following a Jesus who died and who was raised to life. And so we can weigh it all up with eternity in mind, and when we do that, there is no question the figures stack up. It's worth it, as their American friends say, do the math. Long before this, long before Jesus said this, Moses did the math. Hebrews tells us he regarded disgrace as the of, for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. It was hard for him to walk out of the palace, of course it was, but he did the math. Long after Jesus said this, Jim Elliott knew that the figure stacked up. He said, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The figures stack up. Do you know that? And the third thing is the reward will come, verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels. Then He will reward each person according to what He has done. You see, there's no question that Jesus knows what's going to happen. He will return and He will come again, not in weakness and vulnerability, but He will come in glory with His angels and there'll be reward. And so, you see, this is what He's saying to His disciples. Come after Me. Know that it will be hard. There will be reward. Many of those men that He would speak to on that day would lay down their lives for the gospel. But do you think they regret it now? No. So, what do we do? Well, we ask ourselves, what do we want? Jesus highlights that, doesn't He? If anybody wants to be My disciple, what do you want? you're here today, not yet a Christian, what do you want? What is it that you want that will last? Think about it. That will be worth it. Prosperity, you will leave it behind. Peace, it will only be for a while unless you have peace with God. A good reputation, you will be forgotten as I will. A happy family, they will mourn you without hope. There are things of ultimate value, and they come only through Jesus Christ. And Christian brother or sister, don't forget these things were said to people like us, those who had set out to follow Jesus. And we are told, this is life. This is discipleship, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following after Him, He who was put to death, but He who was raised to life. Let's pray together. Lord, we we really recognize that we need you to speak into our lives and recalibrate our thinking because we seek the smooth, the easy, and we know that that road will take us away from you. You call us to follow you, the one who was put to death. Help us, Lord, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow you knowing that though the road be hard, there is glory and there is life everlasting for all who trust. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.